Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here, joined by two very special guests today from a new Knicks podcast called The Hot Hand Theory. I've got Jeff and XJ joining me today to talk about things that the Knicks can look to improve upon going into this season from last season. We're going to talk about how they can diversify their offense, how they can up their passing and assist rates, and how getting to the rim more could potentially help them become a better offense. All coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks, and today's show is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. And I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. Whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube, we appreciate you making us a part of your daily routine. Make sure you hit that auto download function on your favorite podcast app or the notification bell on YouTube so you never miss an episode. We're here for you guys five days a week, if not more, now with the season coming up. So exciting stuff. Lots of episodes. Don't miss a single one. And if you want to deepen your connection with us and and get even further and talk with us even more, you can check us out on Subtext, which is a new platform where you can text us right from the text messaging app on your phone. Uh, so check that out in the episode description below. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick Sight to Strickland, which you can find at strict.land. And I'm joined, as I said, by two really smart dudes. Joined by Jeff and XJ of the Hot Hand Theory Podcast, a new pod that's actually launching next week. Uh, but they've already started a very awesome Twitter presence and everything else uh, showing off just what they're going to be bringing to the table. But I may as well not tell you about that. Let's just get right into things the Knicks can improve upon going into this season. All right. I am joined by my two very special guests today as we are going to get into things we think the Knicks should improve upon this year from last year, obviously a great year last year, but could always do better. I've got two guys here from the Hot Hand Theory podcast, a new podcast. It's going to be checking out the Knicks and the NBA at large with a focus on analytics. And uh, if you follow either of these guys on Twitter, you'll know that they're both very smart, probably smarter than me. Uh, so the podcast is going to be great. Don't abandon Locked on Knicks when you start listening to theirs. Just listen to it in addition to Locked on Knicks. Uh, but the first episode will be out October 24th. I'm joined by, first I'll introduce uh, my buddy from the Strickland. Sorry, XJ. But Jeff Rasmussen uh, at Frank Barrett 119 uh, on Twitter. Jeff, how you doing? And uh, you, you ready for a new season of Knicks basketball? I'm doing great. And honestly, the season can't start soon enough. These I mean, not to trash a different sport, but these football games are every single national TV game is getting worse than the one before it. So I just can't wait till every night is basketball. Super pumped. Yeah. You and me both. It's uh, it's about that time, especially, you know, I mean, the Jets haven't been looking too bad lately. You just got this win over the Eagles, but, you know, can't can't come soon enough with the uh, the basketball of it all. And then I've got XJ, Xavier Justin on Twitter. Uh, he's He's got at Hot Hand Theory on here uh on the youtube also at xavier j designs on twitter uh also a, another fantastic follow if you don't already uh it, both these guys are uh but actually how you doing buddy and are you ready for a new next season i'm doing amazing absolutely ready for a new next season 
I got to say my first controversial uh, statement of the night is going to be that I do not understand anyone who prefers football over basketball. It's basketball all day. Knicks all day. I'm, I'm hyped to go. Happy to be here. I, th- I don't think that'll be too hot of a take on this channel because, uh, you know, basketball locked on Knicks, you know, not, we're not locked on any football here. So let's get right into it. Uh, we are picking out things and making a case why these are things. I mean, obviously, so the Knicks last year, phenomenal offense uh, in the grand scheme of things, you know, left a little to be a uh, little to be desired in the efficiency side of things and all that. But, you know, all in all, put up one of the, one of the best offensive ratings in NBA history, not just not just Knicks history, NBA history last year and an overall historic offensive year for the league. Defense took a little bit of a step back numbers wise, but obviously did well enough in that department to uh, come away with a first round series win over the Cavs and a very competitive series against the Heat in the second round. So there's a lot to love, but there's always ways to get better. So Jeff, if we were going to look at first ways that the Knicks can start getting better this year, what would be one thing to start us off? Do you think that they really need to work on this year? So, yeah, so you're exactly right. The Knicks had one of the best offensive ratings in NBA history. Um, One of the things we're going to try to do at Hot Hand Theory is kind of help frame the way people think about analytics and understand analytics. And this is a great place to start because the Knicks regular season offensive rating was 117. And that's excellent. That's they were, they were, that means they were scoring 117 points per hundred possessions in the playoffs. That number dropped to 107.9. So they scored almost 10, 10 fewer points per hundred possessions. Part of understanding analytics is being able to contextualize them. So I'm going to make a weird analogy uh, analogy here. Mitchell Robinson's true shooting percentage was almost 70% last season. If Mitchell Robinson were to wake up tomorrow and learn how to shoot threes at a 35% clip and the Knicks started letting him shoot them, his true shooting percentage would probably drop to 60%. Like it would, it would probably drop close to 60%. His true shooting percentage would go down 10%, but there's no argument that he would become a more valuable offensive player, at least as a scorer, despite the fact that he's quote unquote less efficient. This relates to the Knicks offense because their offensive rating kind of masked their actual effectiveness in the half court because it was kind of hackneyed by being very protective of the ball and being dominant on the offensive glass. So the offensive rating that they put up doesn't actually reflect how effective they were as an offense. And when they got to the playoffs and their opponents were able to basically look at the tape, look at the film and say, okay, what made this offense actually effective? It was Pretty easy, especially for a great coach like Eric Spolster, to just be like, okay, if we just take Mitchell Robinson off the off- offensive glass and put a little bit more pressure on the ball handlers, it's going to be really hard for them to score. So one area I think the Knicks can absolutely improve in is diversifying the offensive schemes and be willing to say, okay, maybe we're going to take a step back in how many points per 100 possessions we score. You know, maybe we're going to be the eighth best offense. But by the time they get to the playoffs, they're actually better prepared to run against teams that prepare to prepare for them, to be able to take a punch when the the opposing team schemes against them. I think I think running more uh, a wider variety of plays would really benefit them rather than just saying, okay, Brunson, Randall, RJ, quickly when you're running the bench unit, you're gonna beat your guy off the bounce and you're gonna, you know, create an advantage and we're gonna shoot, you know, a bunch of threes. And let's hope we get a lot of offensive rebounds. So that's where I would start if I was Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, I, I think that's 
perfectly reasonable because I, you know, I think that was kind of one of the, one of the things. And I mean, I, I certainly bring up the offensive rating from last year, mostly just as a point to illustrate just how much of something the Knicks unlocked with that offensive rebounding strategy last year, uh, where they're doing something for once. They're being trendsetters, which is nice. Uh, you know, you don't often see it, the Knicks are often reactionary. I feel like more so than blazing that trail. The Knicks are, and for so many years, it felt like they were sort of uh, just trying to play catch up. I guess. Actually, that's not even 100% true, though, because we sort of saw them figure out something in the 12-13 season that then influenced the Golden State Warriors, which then influenced the entire league for years uh, as far as the the more perimeter-based offense, putting up the sheer amount of threes that they did back then, stuff like that. So I guess I'm, it, I'm uh, it, it, it influenced the entire league except for the Knicks power forward who decided he needed to play small forward going forward. And then the Knicks went from two steps ahead of the league to two steps behind the league. But that's a different conversation. <laughs> exactly. And also their coach who at the very first opportunity wanted to go back to playing that power forward at the small forward position. So I I'm totally with you. I do think that they need to work on diversifying things and, and really just, I, they need to improve on efficiency and how they do that is, is going to be intriguing because there are, there's meat on the bone to get better. To, to up their overall team effective field goal and true shooting percentages uh, and to utilize different things other than just the more ISO-based offense that they have in the past. But, uh, X, I'm kind of curious what you think as far as as far as far ways that they could possibly uh, be looking to, to get this better too or, or just in general what Jeff was just saying there. Yeah, I mean, I, I do want to respond to what Jeff said. I think uh, all of that makes total sense to me. I mean, some a way that I think about it is that Offensive rating is often called offensive efficiency, but I think it's misnamed. So like uh, it's interesting because offensive rating is actually measuring the efficiency that teams use possessions. But no one would argue if someone takes three shots at the rim and misses two of them, makes the third one. So they're one of three. No one would argue that they were efficient. <laughs> they would say that was pretty inefficient, but they were effective at their goal of scoring points on that possession. So that's kind of what we're seeing with the Knicks. With the offensive rebounding, it skyrocketed their offensive rating, which I would call more likely, you know, offensive eff effectiveness. Um, but at the same time, they were not really effective at uh, or efficient at scoring in the half court um, without those extra possessions. So I think one thing I want to just add to what Jeff said is that we do see in these high leverage situations, um, the Knicks offensive rating actually does go down. We saw that in the playoffs, but we also see that in their quarterly um, offensive ratings. So one thing I looked up really quickly was uh, the Knicks actually go from an offensive rating of 118 in the first, um, 119 in the second, 119 in the third quarter, and then all the way to 112 in the fourth quarter. This is during the regular season last year. Um, so I think some of that offensive diversity, that variability could serve to offset some of the, the lulls that they have in these higher leverage situations. So I, I totally agree. I think it's a great point. All right. I'll be right back in with Jeff and XJ, where we're going to talk about the Knicks, maybe looking to move the ball a little better, you know, passing a, a little more, getting their assist ratio up so that they're not quite as stagnant as they can be at times on offense but first i gotta remind you all this show is sponsored by better help and do you guys ever have it happen where you try to go to bed and like your brain just won't shut up and you're just sitting there and your thoughts are racing and 
you just feel like your brain can't get out of its own way. And it's something that I feel pretty often. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of different things going on in my life at any given time, a full-time job, this podcast, a website that I'm running. There's a lot of things going on at any given time, including anything in my personal life, then the steps in with my work life. And it can be tough to get through that on your own sometimes. And that's where something like better help could come in to play because whether or not it, you've been in therapy before, it could be hard to get into it again. And it could be hard to find the right therapist. It could be hard to, you know, even just take that step because it's daunting to go into an office and be vulnerable and all this other stuff. Sometimes you just want to be in the comfort of your own home with a webcam and just be able to do it in a way that's comfortable for you. And that's where better help comes into play. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. If you visit betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA, you can get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash locked on MBA. I'm kind of curious what both you guys think. How much do you think that the fact that their their offensive rating goes down, that it went down in the playoffs and that it goes down later on in the game? How much do you think that that just has to do with the fact that intensity goes up in the playoffs, like all across the board? And the Knicks especially are a team that maybe plays intense all year round to a fault. Uh, where then once they get to the playoffs, it's sort of like, oh, the, the rest of the league just caught up to where you guys were all regular season now. Uh, but same with, you know, early on in games and then late in games, it, it stands to reason that defenses are going to just clamp up more. Like, do, do you think there's something to that? Or you think it, it is specifically just kind of their lack of diversity in, in what they do on offense? For sure. And you actually uh, you actually made a really good point here that um... – is again, it's related to analytics. XJ brings up, you know, their fourth quarter offensive rating versus the other three quarters. And, you know, it's a point well taken, but something you always have to factor, and this relates to the playoffs too. I, I brought up the, the playoff offensive rating versus the regular season uh, offensive rating. You have to relate it to what the average is during that sample size. And I would be willing to bet to your point, Alex, that both the playoff overall, overall playoff offensive rating and fourth quarter offensive ratings across the league went down due to exactly what you were talking about. So it's not as big a problem as maybe it seems, you know, I, I do think the playoff one and, 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 and the fourth quarter one, I do think they're definitely like the Knicks went from tied for third in the league in the regular season. And those first three quarter numbers, I guarantee you are close to the top of the league. They, they are dropping relative to the rest of the people in the rest of the teams in those sample sizes. But when you're understanding numbers, I just wanted to relate the points. It's essential that you're comparing it to uh, other, you know, for lack of a better word, teams in in that sample as well. Like you'll see, you'll see, you know, ESPN. They'll be like, "Oh, the Knicks have this uh, offensive rating, and the Bulls in the 1990s had this offensive rating." So clearly, the 1990 Chicago Bulls were way worse than the Knicks. And it's like, okay, well, actually, in the 1990s the whole league's offensive ratings were super low and the bulls were like, you know, an outlier for them just because their number was lower than what the Knicks are. I'm digressing here. But the point is, is that the, what you just said is exactly right. When the intensity goes up, the Knicks edge on the rest of the league goes down because their 
doing stuff that other teams aren't doing during the regular season. And in the playoffs, the rest of the league catches up. Yeah, X, how do you, how you feel about that before we move on to, to your first uh, thing for improvement? Which actually, you know, we could probably, if you want to even just transition us into that. Yeah, I think, it, I think it, you're, it's, you'll, you'll kind of start getting into some of the things that they could look to do differently. It's a perfect transition, honestly, because we are talking about offense. We're talking about their offensive efficiency. Some of the places where they did particularly well, some places where they didn't do particularly well. Um, and my uh, my thing that the Knicks could do better and could improve upon is ball movement. Um, so I think it's a seamless transition because we're talking about how the Knicks are a pretty ISO heavy team. I think everyone watching the Knicks would agree on that, relying largely on the individual ability to score by their stars. Um, if we look at the data, uh, they were last in the NBA in assist percentage, third to last in assists per 100 possessions. And number one in the end uh, in the NBA in percentage of field goals made that were unassisted. So 45% of their field goals that they made were unassisted. Um, and again, we talked about offensive rebounds. You might think, well, they had a ton of offensive rebounds. So maybe a bunch of those unassisted twos were because they were putbacks. But no, if we look further into the data, uh, they were also last in the NBA in percentage of non putback twos that were assisted. So even if you take out putback twos, they were still <laughs> rock bottom in the NBA in terms of um, assisted field goals uh, uh, made. So, you know, why does this matter? We're talking about things the Knicks can improve upon. They did extremely well. I believe they need to improve upon their shot quality. And ball movement is a, a critical way that they can do this. And this falls on their playmakers like Brunson, RJ. These guys consistently create slight advantages for themselves but they could be creating substantial advantages for their teammates um, if they if they were a little more willing passers in situations where they have advantages. Um, and I looked at some of the shot quality data. Brunson took some really difficult shots last year. <laughs> um, and actually, Jeff posted a riveting compilation of every Jalen Brunson unassisted two-point field goal uh, make on the Hot Hand Theory uh, X account. And that's enough to give you a quick understanding of how difficult some of his shots were. But really, all of the Knicks took difficult shots. Brunson, Quickly, Randall, RJ, they each had a shot quality that um, would be would expect a, a, a result, uh, result in a lower than league average effective field goal percentage. That's the way to say that. Um, so that that just shows that the shots that they're getting are not the best. And the way that they can get to better shots would be ball movement. Um, the last thing I want to say about it really quick before I turn it over to you guys to react to it, the Knicks offense really, as we all know, really took off after the acquisition of Josh Hart over the 26 games with Hart. They led the league in offensive rating with a scorching 121.2 offensive rating and went 17 and nine. But surprise during that time, there were actually only six in the league in offensive rebound percentage. And they went all the way up to seventh in the league in effective field goal percentage, which was up from 20th, uh, that they were 20th over the entire le uh, season. And they went all the way up to seventh during that time. So it's interesting because we talk so much about the offensive rebounding being the the what precipitated their really great offense. But actually, when their offense was best, it was their effective field goal percentage that was really good. So I think the way to get to that higher effective field goal percentage is to get more quality shots. And the way to do that is to increase more ball movement. So wait, are you, do you mean to tell me that making shots makes good offense? <laughs> it's like a, a lot of data just to say <laughs> that exact sentence. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm with you there. I, I think that they could definitely stand to ISO less. And I, I think this really the first two points really do play together well. Uh in the in the fact that the unimaginativeness does show through with this team and always kind of has, you know, it didn't as much last year because Jalen Brunson was just, especially in the playoffs, like so, and especially against the heat, I should say just such a, like a force that it, you, you didn't need anything more than just him ISOing sometimes other than maybe for some of the guys that he was kicking out to, to make shots more often, but like he just kind of became a monolith in that offense. But what happens if the other team has a defender that can actually, put the clamps on him, you know, then where do you find yourself? And I think often, I, I, you know, I was, I was saying this on, I think a, as yet unreleased uh, show that, that we just recorded with uh, Nick's film school for next week, uh, our yearly bold prediction crossover, but you know, the Knicks pay a lot. Well, actually I think I said this on a regular locked on Knicks too. I have a lot of points. I've been making a lot of times this preseason and off season, but you know, the Knicks pay a lot of lip service every year to, to changing certain things. And even during the preseason you'll, or early in the season, you'll see it. Like you'll be like, Oh, we're going to run more this year. We're going to, we're going to be more out in transition and we're going to look to, you know, get into more sets and move the ball more. And you see it for the first few preseason games, maybe even the first quarter of the season, then just kind of goes by the wayside. So, um, I do think that the Knicks should, you know, Tibbs being this guy who pays closer attention to analytics than he ever has before in his career, I, I hope looks at passing numbers, assist rate numbers, um, the, even NBA stats and, you know, synergy and everything else has amount of times that a player passed the ball to a certain other player and all these other stats that you can find. I, I hope that he is pouring over those and and sort of trying to piece those together into how that can make the Knicks a better offense overall. But all right, and we'll be right back in. We're all getting into my point, the final one of this episode, where I'll say the Knicks maybe should look to get to the rim a little more, and that might be helpful for them uh, in finding a better offensive identity this year and scoring more points and being more efficient, which is always the goal. But first, I got to remind you all that today's show is brought to you by Game Time. And I don't know about you guys. I'm not a I'm not a buy ahead kind of guy. I'm not a I'm not a planner, more of a vibes man. You know, I like to get my tickets when it feels good to me. Uh, not necessarily when is the, you know, when it's the the most opportune time, which sometimes in the past has led to me getting kind of burned. You know, I end up, I'm like, oh, I, I kind of want to go to a Knicks game this weekend. Then I go to buy tickets and prices are crazy. It's tough to get a good deal. And I find myself sometimes that that completely nixes the plan because I just say, well, you know what? I don't feel like spending $400 a seat to go see the Knicks. But that's where game time can come in because you shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game time is fast and easy, and it's a great way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. And with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. So you could see the view from your seat before you buy. So you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. I took advantage of this recently. I saw back to the future of the musical and got some tickets and I got to see exactly where I'd be sitting and what the view would be like. It's pretty great. Uh, you also get an all in price, which shows you the total upfront. So you know, you're getting a great deal without hidden fees. 
And they did that even before uh, President Biden passed that law that made it so places had to show you all in things. So, you know, game times had their heart in the right place for a long time. And you could buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app. Create an account and use code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. Uh, Jeff, how do, how do you feel about all of that as far as passing and assist rate and, and all that goes? Well, I just want to say you brought up Brunson in the playoffs and you say, you know, what if the other team has, you know, a Jalen Brunson stopper? What do you do then? Another question is just what do you do when Brunson's not playing? Mm -hmm. Like last postseason, Brunson's not going to play 48 minutes a game. I know he did it in game five against the Heat and that was magnificent. That was an awesome performance. But I'm sorry, like LeBron James is a once in a lifetime player, that type of physical freak who can play you know every minute of every playoff game and carry like Jalen Brunson's amazing but in this past postseason the Knicks had a 113.3 offensive rating when Jalen Brunson was on the court they had a 75.7 offensive rating when Brunson sat they were quick math 38 38 points per 100 possessions worse when Brunson was on off the court and the thing is is when you set up a system that's like, okay, we're just going to play a lot of one-on-one. Yeah, it's going to thrive when a really good one-on-one player is on the court and has the ball in his hands a lot of time. But you can't just say, okay, Emmanuel, quickly, it's your turn to be Jalen Brunson. That's that's not coaching. That's not running an offense. That's just – you're just – I don't even know what to call that. And the thing is, to bring it back to, you know, the passing and everything, we're not asking the Knicks to be the beautiful basketball Spurs. We're not asking them to be the Warriors. But, you know – let Isaiah Hardenstein have the ball at the top of the key a little bit more. It's okay if your turnover percentage goes up a little bit. Um, what did we see in the playoffs that worked really well last season? Have Josh Hart, have R.J. Barrett a- operate as screeners. Change up who's setting the screen at, as opposed to the predictable 1-5 screen and roll they run every single time down the court. The defenses are just going to start to key in on. You're not going to be able to do these hackneyed things for too long. And you brought up transition. I love how much the Knicks are looking to get out and transition again this preseason. R.J. Barrett had back-to-back and ones against the Timberwolves in their last preseason game, one over Carl Anthony Towns. But that's another like hackneyed version of creating an efficient offense because when teams hone in and teams start trying, you're not going to be able to get in transition a bunch. Everybody's watched. Everybody's watched a bunch of playoffs. How often do you see teams just running other teams out of the gym in closed playoff games? It doesn't happen. It's a half. It's a half court, half court game, and you need you don't you don't need to be super efficient. You don't need to be record breaking, but you need to be better than the Knicks were last season. And the path to that is opening up the offense more, trying different things that get other people involved and get other actions involved. Having counters. One of the most encouraging things I've seen all preseason in the half court. It has been those two buckets that RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly scored with Isaiah Hardenstein operating as the hub at the top of the key and him, RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly having a little three-way game where Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett are doing stuff off the ball. And the first time RJ Barrett came up and got the ball. And the second time Emmanuel quickly had a back cut for, 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 I think he got fouled. I don't know if his man won or if he just got fouled, but they were two beautiful possessions. And one. Yeah, and what was beautiful about them was 
the defense didn't didn't look at it and say, okay, I know what's coming. No, there were multiple options available to them, and those are the kinds of things you need to do. That's what the best offenses do, and I think the Knicks can definitely infuse some of that into their offense. You know, it almost comes down to, not to bring this back to football, which we've already determined is inferior to basketball at the beginning of this podcast, but it almost comes down to like a one-read quarterback versus a multi-read quarterback, you know, that can – a one-read quarterback goes out there, he's got the first thing he knows he wants to do, and then if that gets taken away, you see those guys struggle a lot. Usually it's younger quarterbacks, whatever. The ones that really succeed are the ones that have – three different options in their head and they can cycle through all three of those options and then come to the best one and maybe even overlook all three and then go back to the first one or something and, you know, find a way to make something happen just by virtue of being prepared. And I think the Knicks could benefit from that. And the, the great thing is, is that Jalen Brunson's on the team. You always have that option. Like he's not just going to stop being a great one-on-one player because you don't do it as much. He's, he's one of the craftiest, most skilled players in the entire league. And those shots that he gets when he takes the ball at the top of the key, t- gets a screen from Mitch and works his way into the – those are available at the end of the shot clock. Those are always available to you. It, it's, it doesn't kill you in the short term to try other stuff, but it actually hurts you in the long term to not try it. So I, I feel very strongly that, about XJ's point that they really have to infuse some of this stuff. Yeah. And, and just one last note, just to, to kind of, you know, tie the bow on that. Um, people might be wondering, like, why do they need to make these changes? They were like such a great offense last year. Um, it worked in the regular season. Maybe it just they need to improve and, and become more effective at what they were already doing. I just want to say the stretch that I talked about, the 26 game stretch with Josh Hart. If we look at that time with the microscope, we'll see that the efficiency that they scored with was probably unsustainable um, and wouldn't be likely to carry over into this year. Uh, during those 26 games, they led the league in percentage of two-point field goals uh, made that were unassisted, which is typically not going to result in a high-efficiency team. And Josh Hart himself <laughs> shot like a ridiculous nearly 50% from three over that stretch. And I think we can all agree that's not going to happen for the entirety of the next 82 games that we're going to see. So, yeah, I just think unless we see better passing, we'll probably see a fair amount of regression in their offensive effectiveness overall. Yeah, I was going to say when you brought up the Josh Hart era of last year, I was going to say the man himself is the number one number one barometer of that whole thing. I mean, he was he's playing like a man possessed because he had a new team and a new lease on life and was playing with one of his best buddies. Uh, But, you know, everything wears out, you know, (laughs) the luster wears off after a while and you go back to normalcy. And uh, that's what the Knicks have to kind of be ready for is when things when things go back to normal or below average, you know, which happens for stretches of every season. You have to have backup plans to be able to, you know, still be able to to score the basketball when your pet things aren't working. Uh, maybe one of those things. This will be my my thing that I think all these things tied together real nicely. This is great. A great overarching point at the beginning, Jeff, because it's just opened the door for everybody to say what they think. Uh, uh, can make the Knicks offense a little more diverse. I think they need to get all the way to the rim more often. Uh, and this has been a consistent theme for years for the Knicks. Uh, when you look at who the top players are on the team, the top developing guys like RJ Barrett, who's always shown a propensity for getting to the rim, but not necessarily uh, had the skill set to finish once he got there or draw the fouls, which he's now, as I'll get to in a second, like doing a lot better. Emmanuel quickly, who showed a huge reluctance of getting all the way to the hoop for a long time. And you even see with Julius Randle, you know, who was taking 
tons of mid-range shots just a couple years ago and now finds himself, you know, having a better shot profile. And that's sort of become the case for the Knicks overall. You know, if you look at their shot shot charts or, or rather their shot uh, distribution on cleaning the glass, they've gone from a team that was taking way too many mid-range shots to now taking a much lower percentage of their shots from specifically the long mid-range. But you're still seeing a little bit too much in the way of of short mid-range versus uh, just getting all the way to the rim, which I think could be beneficial for them. So just to go over a couple quick numbers, last year they were 17th in the NBA uh, as far as percentage of their shots that they took at the rim, which is 33.3% of the time they took shots at the rim. They were also 10th in the NBA, so top top one-third uh, in short mid-range last year. They took 23.7% of their shots in the short mid-range. So I definitely am not saying get rid of that short mid-range entirely because some of the Knicks love that area. Emmanuel quickly has his floater, obviously, as a Hartenstein has a really nice floater from there. Uh, Jalen Brunson works a lot of his magic in that short mid-range where he'll get kind of deep in and then, you know, work his pivot, 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 you know, get under a guy, you know, kind of bump him, whatever, to draw a foul and or take a nice little uh, short mid-range jumper there. But I, I think that if they could just like flip-flop where they stand in the league for those two things, maybe strive to be 10th in the league in getting all the way to the rim and 17th in the league at the short mid-range stuff, that could be beneficial because I think the big thing is we're seeing that work this offseason on drawing fouls is paying dividends. Uh, RJ Barrett is doing phenomenal work in these first couple preseason games, uh, just looking like an absolute demon getting to the free throw line. Like he just does whatever he wants and gets like 10 to 12 free throw attempts per game so far this preseason. And that's something that was happening in last postseason and, and at times last season as well. So that's something that seems like he can do. Brunson comes in for like 10 minutes and draws seven free throws. And it looks like it's not even hard for him. I mean, he's just, just doing that same thing where he gets inside jukes guys out of their shoes and eventually gets them up in the air. And like the Knicks didn't shoot the best at the rim, like as far as actually making the shots, they were 21st in the NBA was at 65.1% at the rim last year as a team, but they were 10th in the league in free throw rate with 21.8 free throws made per 100 possessions. Uh, so I think, I think there's data to suggest that just by virtue of the fact that they're really good at drawing free throws, that they could potentially control games by getting into the paint more often and trying to draw those free throws, get into the bonus earlier, force teams to be more timid overall on defense and then make life a lot easier on themselves. So I'm curious what you guys think about that. I think this is an incredible point. And I, and I think that because I do think that the Knicks – their offensive philosophy actually suggests that they do take those short kind of floater range shots. Um, and in a lot of cases, that's why they get a lot of their offensive rebounds. So they have two, two of the float gods of the league, uh, Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly, as you, as you mentioned, Alex, um, and a guy like Julius Randle who can kind of bulldoze his way and kind of get to that short mid range area anytime he wants. And that's awesome, you know, and, and Mid Mitchell Robinson really benefited from a lot of that, just getting close to the basket, getting it off the rim and then, you know, getting those offensive rebounds, offensive rebound rates are a lot higher when the, um, when your teammates take shots nearby the rim. So that's a lot of the reason why Mitch was able to grab so many offensive rebounds. But all that being said, if you can get a little closer, um, we might see some of those missed 
uh, floaters and offensive rebounds from Mitch turn into actual just like lobs to Mitch, right? Because if they can really attack the rim and get pressure on the rim, um, teams are going to have to like push up a lot higher. You see the you see guys like Brunson and quickly get those floaters off because teams honestly they're somewhat willing to to allow that to happen. Um, you know, even the best floater is not going to be near uh, as effective and as high an effective field goal percentage as a shot like right by the rim. So teams are like, you know what, we'll give that up. And a, a guy like Eric Spolscher, a coach like Eric Spolscher is going to say, we'll give that up and we're going to make sure to keep Mitch off the boards. Um, if you can get the, all the way to the rim and really get that rim pressure, like you mentioned, you're talking about free throws. You're talking about um, really good rim shot makers. Julius Randle actually was incredible. It was like 99th percentile in terms of rim, rim shot making last year. And his shot quality from mid-range was towards the bottom of the league. I think that Randall would benefit a lot more. Um, and I think that the team as a whole would benefit a lot more. So I think it's a great point. Yeah. What do you, what do you think on that, Jeff? So you guys are asking for more shots at the rim and more lobs to Mitchell Robinson. It sounds like you're both asking for RJ Barrett to make the ultimate leap this season and for the team to almost be run through him more like, like, or like a lot more like, number one usage on the team more if we're if we're really getting crazy here because look rj barrett has been what's a nice way of saying this he has not been great his his first four seasons uh i know Knicks fans won't love hearing that his impact has just it just really hasn't been that good he had a decent impact season his second year when he shot 40 percent from three and his defense the the defensive numbers with him on the court were good but every other season has been especially his first and fourth seasons, not good. But one thing he has been near the top of the league at all four seasons is getting to the rim. And what we saw in the playoffs last year was he started to make a lot better decisions around the basket. That was one of the reasons that pretty much all the film, anybody who watched the games, people were like, oh, this is a different R.J. Barrett. It's because you didn't see those below the rim weak flailing efforts it was okay i've created an advantage how do i leverage this advantage and rj was doing a much better job of leveraging his advantages and then he's kind of taken that ball in fiba in these first two preseason games and ran with it because he honestly i know it's just preseason but his approach to these games has been a lot different and look i mean we always, we've been saying it, you know, we're biased Knicks fans every year. He's only 21. He's only 22. He is still a young player in this league who's growing. And he's just trying to figure it out. I know he's played a lot of minutes and, you know, it's his fifth year. We, we've got to start, you know, he, he's got to start producing better and impacting the game more. But it's not out of the question for a guy who can get to the rim at such a unique rate to, to figure that out and become a really good scorer. There's no reason – if you turn, you know, a couple of those bad rim attempts, a couple of those bad mid-range attempts into passes, into free throw attempts, that 52 true shooting can't become 57, 58 true shooting in, in, in a season. That, that's not unreasonable to expect from him. And I think it's possible. I just think that the Knicks have to elevate him and trust him to do that. They're really looking to do it in preseason, and I'll be interested to see if that carries over to the regular season because – 
Alex, I, I agree that your point about, you know, I think one of the things about Julius Randle that's most interesting that nobody really talks about is that he actually had a more efficient season last year than his great we hear season, but he shot 6% worse from three. That is entirely due to shot selection and where his shots came from. That That is completely emblematic of the point you're making. You don't actually have to make the shots more if the shots you're choosing to shoot are smarter. And so if the Knicks take away some of those mid-range, if R.J. Barrett takes away some of those mid-range and chooses to get to the basket, if he takes away some of those flailing shots around the basket and turns those into kickouts when he and he's leveraging that attention he draws, look, we could be looking at a really, really good season for this guy and the best season of his career, and that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I, I could see that as well. I definitely – and I mean – Gavin and I have been, I mean, we even were getting hate on our <laughs> YouTube comments from the second game being like, you guys weren't giving RJ enough credit. So maybe I'm not giving him even enough credit, but you know, it's like, I, I do think that there's a world where he can have his breakout this year and maybe still not even be a 35% three point shooter. If he just does exactly what you just said, if he gets to the hoop more, if he drives and kicks more often, I think that's sort of, you know, that was the one thing that we were harping on about the second game and a little bit during this preseason is that occasionally, and I think it's been by design, he's been a little tunnel vision-y uh, and, and has missed some opportunities for other teammates while he's been trying to, you know, kind of flex his feeble muscles and get things going here. And I hope that he just keeps his eyes open for that because we've seen him have amazing vision in the past. And that could set up his teammates for more three-point shots on the perimeter. Um, and even if he gets all the way to the hoop and... You know, he, he's so strong that even if Mitch is still somewhat close to the hoop, uh, RJ can absorb contact from two guys and, you know, still get something up that, you know, can potentially go in, but if nothing else gets him two free throws. And if it doesn't, for whatever reason, you know, you always have Mitch there to clean up the mess if if that happens, uh, which, you know, sometimes it's dependent on those floaters, uh, to your point, XJ, but sometimes is. Just on the Mitch just figures out how to do, which he's been doing so far in the preseason. So uh certainly something to look for there. With but I with, with, with RJ, ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but with RJ, yeah. it's just always it's always about the process. That's yeah. that's he needs to turn himself into a player where what he shoots from three does not define his impact. And that's like, you know, the, the best non-stars in the leagues in in the league are the guys who you can count on night in and night out to provide that non-scoring impact. And RJ has that. We've seen him. It's like we've seen him show flashes of being good at making the right reads at the rim. We've seen him show more than just flashes. We've seen long stretches of him being a good defender, both on and off the ball. And if he can just package those things into one season, it almost doesn't matter what he shoots from three. I'm sorry to break away from the original point that you made, but as we're talking about RJ, I do think that that, point you were making about RJ and like why even though you know he scores 10 points in the first quarter and you were like okay like he's a little tunnel vision I think the greater point you're making is that process is more important with him than the actual output mm -hmm. yeah that's that's precisely it and it's probably a good opportunity to take our transition from offense to defense here all right and that's it for today with XJ and Jeff but if you enjoyed this episode good news we got another one coming your way before the end of the week. 
I believe it's going to be on Friday because we have a couple of game recaps between now and then for the last two preseason games. Uh, but definitely keep your ears to the ground for that to come out. And uh, we're going to talk about some other pretty interesting topics. Uh, XJ is going to talk a bit about how the Knicks should work on their transition defense, specifically after they turn the ball over. And uh, he brings up some pretty interesting stats in that regard. I'm going to bring up that the Knicks should force some more turnovers themselves, because why Why would they not? And then Jeff will talk at the end about something that I've felt passionate about, and I know Gavin has and pretty much everybody has for a while, more lineup diversity so the Knicks can be more ready for those unpredictable situations as they come up later in the season and in the postseason. Uh, so that's all coming up on the next episode with Jeff and XJ on Friday. And of course, between then, we'll have two game recaps for you guys. Uh, but until then, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon. Peace out, everybody.